And the job of the pastor and the elders, the Sunday school teacher, is to do Oh, yes, they may be quote unquote scripture. But it's not enough for them. You say, well, what do mean it's not enough? That when you share the scripture, open that scripture up. Open it up. Who is Aristotle's teacher? Anybody remember? One of the great philosophers? Plato. We remember the students, but oftentimes the teacher is quickly forgotten. Dr. Hendricks at Dallas Theological Seminary, he died about a year ago. But Dr. Hendricks watched one of his professors. And the professor would walk by the house where Dr. Hendricks was Renning as a student while he was attending Dallas Theological Seminary. But what he would notice about this teacher is that he would walk past his apartment early morning. And well after an eight-hour day, he would see him walking home. He, be, he began to take more notice of this professor. That this professor was always reading. And he asked the professor, why is it that you're always pondering over a book? You're always searching out something. And the professor answered, I'd rather give my students something from a fresh flowing stream than a stagnant pond of water. It's fresh. It's meaningful. It's life-giving. And as Christians, as priests, we've been on this area of the priesthood. How many of you really see yourself as a priest? And as a priest, one of your functions is to teach. You are taught to go out to teach. Whether it's at work, whether it's having a Bible study with a neighbor, whether it's having Bible study with your own children, whether it's having Bible study with your grandchildren, whether it's just gathering a bunch of women, a bunch of men, 
were teaching. The priesthood, that royal priesthood, that chosen priesthood of God that Peter talks about are teachers. Are teachers. Are teachers. You've been called to teach. Priests are teachers to the people of God and all people who will listen to the teachings of Jesus. We have the greatest opportunity to teach about life because everybody thinks they have life down. Everybody thinks they got family down. Everybody thinks they have relationships down. We have the greatest opportunity to teach in all Others. And one of the best ways to
pay to step into a team role and have people more than you, that's okay. Because you're going to learn. We all learn. We're all learners. Go with me to Second Timothy. And again, your priests, your teachers. One of the things about teachers are this. You never want to be arrogant. You want to be humble. You want to be gentle. You never want to come across as the know-all person. You want to have a good ear to listen. The one who teach need to also listen. Because in listening, you discover what needs to be taught. If you really listen. And part of listening is that it's not always listening just to correct. But it's listening to learn. So in 2 Timothy 2, starting with verse 24, he says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind. That when you're teaching, you're kind towards others. You're helpful to others. Understand, you as a teacher are not the real teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. It's that unseen person that's really doing the teaching. Because as you are teaching, there's something going on up in here. There's that communication with someone else while you're teaching and they're hearing. And the issue is not to try to convict the person or to show the person they're wrong because, see, as human beings, we can never show each other our wrong. Only one who can really do that is who? The Holy Spirit. I can tell you that you're wrong according to Scripture. I can't make you believe the Scripture. (laughs) And he says, be kind. Be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. In teaching, you're always going to have some what? Some opposition. But you got to take the position, you're going to be gentle. You're going to be gentle. How many of you go back to a dentist that hurt you? See, my first day when I go into a dentist's office, the first thing I tell, you hurt me, I'm gone. You won't see me again. Hey. So, boy, they take that gel stuff, rub it all over my gums before they even give me the shot, treat me like a little kid. I like to be pampered because uh-huh, me, me, me and pain don't get along very well. You know? <laughs> and that whole process, being gentle, being gentle, that when you're teach, you're, you're gentle with those individuals because they may not be right where you are. And you're not out to crush them. You're out to open the mind and the heart. You're out there to open up the thinking process and the teaching. 
And he says, be gentle. The teacher is gentle. Instructing. That when you're teaching, you're giving good sound instructions. Understand something about teaching. Teaching is not just a history lesson. If you're not teaching to change behavior, you're not teaching to change thinking. If you're not teaching to cause that person to take a look at themselves, examine themselves, and change part of their life, or how they think, or how they see things, the only thing you're doing is giving a history lesson. And the history lesson sometimes is quickly forgotten. But you're teaching to have an effect in the person's life and their thinking. For as a man thinketh, what? So is he. Because our behavior derives from our thinking and how we perceive things. And he goes on, he says, you're giving them instructions in hope. Now, this, this is so important. In hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge. Who's going to really share the knowledge? God is. God is the one who's going to give the knowledge. I'm just, yes, passing on knowledge, but the one who has to really take that knowledge and say, this is gold nuggets, this is real, this is real life, this is how you do it, this is how you live. And you put this in your life and you begin to practice it. How do you teach somebody when scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight? How is that taught? How do you really teach that to young people who are hands on with everything? Is that in your teaching, and we're going to see this in scripture, you always have to be willing to demonstrate what faith is when you step out. And they have to see you stepping out, trusting God, not knowing the end or the results of that thing. But you're stepping out because it's the right thing or it's because God has called you to step out. And you're believing him and trusting him. Thereby, you are now walking by what? Faith and not by sight, not by your own reasoning, but in obedience to God, you're walking. So we walk by faith, not knowing what is going to become of this. If I'm going to sink, if I'm going to walk. I'm walking by faith, not knowing if I'm going to stumble, hit a pothole. I'm walking by faith, not knowing who's going to approach me, what's going to come at me, what I'm going to have to fight against. I'm walking by faith, trusting God to see me what? Through it. And as I'm walking, other people begin to what? Watch and see. We demonstrate what it is. We just don't mouth it. We demonstrate it. We have to show it. And, and he says that God would bring them to knowledge. A good teacher understands this when it comes to biblical truth. Only God can really anchor the truth into the heart and minds of an individual. 
Only God can do that. But look at the other part of this. He says that they would have knowledge of the truth, then 26, and that they will come to their senses. Understand something. Satan has duped a lot of people. Satan has blinded a lot of people. Why do you think the scripture says, renew your mind? You're renewing your mind because you've already been taught by demons and by Satan and by this world. You've already bought in, line and sinker, everything that the world says. And he says, renew your mind now. Renew your mind. Renew your mind on the area of giving. Renew your mind in the area of loving somebody. Renew your mind in the area of forgiving somebody. For renew your mind in the relationship with me and God. Renew your mind. It has to be renewed. There has to be a different type of thinking put there. One thing I discovered, and I think I've shared it many times, Working on behavior science and being for over eight years at Akron General on the psych ward, I learned this. Just by every patient, majority of the patients were dealing with demonic issues when you really got down to it. With demonic issues. For about six weeks, I got to deal with the son, at that time, the chief of police out in Medina. And just all confused. And about three times a week, we would sit down at the table and we would talk about life from a scriptural point compared to a worldly, demonic influence position. And it's a slow, slow process because you have to unhook. Sally had to be unhooked. Different people got to be unhooked from the teaching of this world and a demonic teaching the mind has to be renewed that now I am thinking with the mind of Christ rather than with the mind of this world. And the only way I do that is to renew my mind through the word. Renew my thinking through the word. That now I'm thinking God's word and I'm hearing God speak to my heart. And now I'm walking in the scriptures. I'm behaving according to what the word says, not what the world says. It changes me. He says, boy, and that they will come to a census that they would wake up to truth. They would wake up to the knowledge of God. That they would be awakened to this and escape from the trap of the devil. Catch that word. They will what? Escape. Because Satan has had them now in prison for the lack of knowledge, for the lack of understanding God's word. And he says, 
they will escape that which Satan has held them prisoner in in the way in which they think and what they believe. And he says, they will escape it. And he goes on and he says, escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do what? His will. The reason, how many of you remember the word brainwashing? Brainwashing was for what purpose? That you would do what I want you to do. That you would buy into what I'm saying. And we would say, boy, that's a form of brainwashing. And therefore people would just do exactly what they were told to do. Well, understand, that's Satan's world. Satan teaches that you will follow after him. Now understand this. Satan got that from God. God teaches that you will do what? Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Now, a priest is a learner. Those who really desire to learn will also teach. But a teacher never stops learning. If you desire to teach, you're always learning. You're always investigating. You're always hearing and learning more. One of the reasons I listen to those little talks about Islam and Muslim, because it teaches me what they're teaching their people about us that I can speak to it. Why? Because Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the United States. You, your children, and grandchildren are going to have to deal with that. Because mosques are going up all over the United States. And they're going up quickly. And they're going to teach. And they're going to challenge. And a lot of people are going to fall into it. Now, a teacher must have the desire to teach. thing in Christianity is this. Somewhere we've lost this desire to teach God's word. The pastor is not the only teacher. The Sunday school teacher is not the only teacher. The elder, the deacon, leaders, they're not the only teacher. We're all teachers. We're all teaching somebody. Either you're teaching people to be ungodly or you're teaching people to be godly. The advice that you give your children is either coming from Scripture or it's coming from your own knowledge and little wisdom. Fleshliness. It's coming from somewhere. A teacher got to have a passion about teaching. What is this teaching? The teaching of Jesus Christ. Why is he learning? that he can do his apologetics, that he in one sense can stand up and protect the word of God. Having the knowledge of the subject, not just hearing about the subject, but really having knowledge about the subject also. The ability to communicate them that knowledge. You want to be able to have that ability to communicate it. And that's part of that witnessing part. 
that you can truly communicate it. And then the issue that is so tough for us is patience. Have you noticed to deal with people today take more patience than ever? Yeah. People are tough to deal with. People will wear you down mentally. And one thing about people, we're all very argumentative. And we're all protecting our own ground, our own way of life. And we've got to be very patient. Understand this. We're all slow learners. We don't learn quickly. Oh, we hear, but in our hearing, it doesn't cause us to change. When a person learns something, you'll see a change in their life. Because they bought into it that this teaching or this thing is going to benefit me. But as long as I believe it will not benefit me, I'll hear it, I'll listen to it. That don't really benefit me. It doesn't help me any. It's not for me. This is not my thing. The priest's work was changed from tabernacle to temple to New Testament. What am I talking about? When you look at Scripture, the priest, two years after coming out of Egypt, and God is building his tabernacle, assigns the priest to handle everything in the tabernacle. But the main thing about the tabernacle was the setting up, taking down, setting up, taking down, making sure everything sacred was taken care of. Then you move from the tabernacle to the temple. David then basically assigns 24 groups within the Leviticus priesthood. History tells us that a priest would basically only work two days after the year by the time it went around. The problem was it took six months to get them ready to work. And most of the times you will find and you'll read in Scripture the earliest age was at 20. That was the early age, but that's because there had to be something there that would allow God to start them at 20. Then there was another age at 25. But it's something about what Scripture says. Between the age 30 and 50, only the person 30 and 50 could handle the most sacred things of the Lord. Only a person between age 30 and 50. God gave a person, if they started at 20, that time to mature and to learn what was really sacred and how to really handle it. And not that they were just sitting around. Because, see, these were to be individuals who were experts in the Torah, in teaching the Torah. 
in teaching every sacrifice exactly what utensil had to be used, what had to be cleaned and the way it had to be cleaned, the way it had to be sacrificed and so forth. They had to learn every step of that. And then they had to learn what God had given to Moses that they can give to the people. And then if you follow scripture, as God educates his people, there's this advancement that keeps going on. God keeps building his people. Why? God keeps pouring more knowledge of himself into his people. God keeps showing his people something new, and the priests didn't have to teach that. So they're always in this learning stage. Learning from God that they might teach the people of God and anyone else who would listen. They're always in that learning stage. And there was that change of the priest on down. And when you get into the New Testament, we don't have no sacrifices. We don't have to worry about the uh, pigeon or the turtle dove or the lamb or any of this here. Which parts to burn, which parts not to. What to do with the blood, what to do with this part of the animal or that part. We don't have to learn all that. But we do have to teach. Hear me. We do have to teach about the Lamb of God that was the sacrifice of God that would take away all the sins of the world. Two things that stay now are the same. The priest being chosen and the priest teaching. That's why he says, you are chosen. You are called. You're my royal priesthood. You're called. And you're called to teach. That's why James says, don't just be what? Hearers of the word, but to be what? Doers of the word. For as you're doing it, you're going to teach it. You demonstrate it. You're allowed to be seen. Now, the priest had the responsibility to take care of everything of God. Go with me to Numbers 1. Lord, stop that clock up there. Numbers, chapter 1. 47 through 51. Let me get there. 47. The family of the, Levi, of the tribe of Levi, however, were not counted along with the others. The Lord has said to Moses, you must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the testimony over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take down, and wherever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who goes near it shall be put to death. Going to be what? Put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by division. 
each man in his own camp under his own standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the testimony so that wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle and of the testimony. You're set around that which is sacred. Today in our culture, society, there's nothing really what? Sacred. But they sit around this tabernacle that someone without knowledge or someone who was ignorant of it, before they even got to the real sacred thing, had to first go through who? The Levites. And the Levites were protecting those who were ignorant. And not having understanding. And those who were presumptuous. They were protecting them from death. When we teach. And we surround. And that teaching comes from different areas. Into an individual's life. It's helping to protect that person. From stamping on that. Which is sacred. And it's keeping them, in a sense, from death. So as we encamp, you might only be one person in a person's life that God has sent that's witnessing, but he's put others around them also that's doing that, that we know nothing about. But it's keeping them from trampling on that which is sacred. Why? Because of death. Because of death. You're holding them back from death. Now, very quickly, Leviticus 10. What were the Israelites to do? So, chapter 10, 8 through 11. He, he tells us a little bit about what they were to do. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meetings or you will what? Die. Now he specifies it when you go into the tent of meetings. You don't drink any fermented. Why? When you go into tent of meetings, in a sense, you're going to be teaching what does fermented wine or alcohol do to the mind? <laughs> yeah. It dulls it, don't it? It's not as clear. And what God says, when you begin to minister on my behalf, you need a what? A clear mind. When you put the alcohol in and the other stuff in, you lose the clear mind. When you put drugs in, 
you lose the what? The clear mind. Now, listen to what else he's going to say about this. Because, see, they're going to teach. And, and he says, you don't run in there teaching without a sharp mind. He says, whenever you go into the tenant meetings or you will die, this is the lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. You must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. You must teach. And when you're teaching, you need to have a what? A clear mind over the subject that you're teaching. You don't want to be fuzzy. You want to have a clear mind about it. And you want to understand it. In some ways, before you get there as the teacher, you have dove into it. And you're teaching. And what are you teaching? You're teaching people to have a clear mind. A clean mind that they can understand what's good for them and what's bad for them. And people only know this in this life. I want it. It doesn't matter if it's clean or not. I want it. If I want it, my want dismisses the reality of will this harm me or not. We don't ask that question, will this harm me? How will it benefit me? Only thing we know is that I want it. And because I want it, I think I can control it, not understanding that it will control me or do damage to me. And once it gets inside of me, I have no more control over it. But it now has control over who? As long as that drug needle stay out of my arm, I'm controlling it. The moment I take heroin or I take cocaine or I take alcohol, it controls me. As long as it stays outside of me, I'm controlling it. But the moment I let it in, young men, young women, Single folks, the moment you let somebody into your inner part of your life, into your heart, into your mind, they're going to control you more than you control them. Man. But you keep them out there until you're sure this is the one God has brought to you, they won't control. See, there's a part of my life Elaine controls. Boy, when the refrigerator went out, she went in control mode. When the washing machine went out, she went in control mode. When the dishwasher, oh boy, and I got the news. I'm not washing no dishes. Control mode. <laughs> but she had the ability to control. Why? She's in here. Now you let somebody else. 
Carol could tell me all day long about her dishwasher out. Well, it's just that. (laughs) But when you let something in, it has a control factor. Isn't that right, Walter? Walter? Isn't that right? When you let somebody else in, there's a control factor, isn't it? Yeah. It's not like being a single man, is it? <laughs> because we allow it in. And it takes this control. And good sound teaching will do the same thing. It'll take control once the person acknowledges it. But he says you're going to teach them what is clean and what is unclean. Amen? Well, for sake of time... We'll end here and we'll pick up next week. Because what we want to do is look at a little bit of the character of the teacher also. But we also want to look at when the teacher falters. When the teacher falters. Because, see, we've seen many teachers in our lifetime do what? Falter. And it affects other people when the teacher falters. Now, let me share something with you. Gus Brown sins. Not those great big old sins. But as long as you're in this body, guess what's going to happen? You're going to sin. But one sin is just as bad as a big sin. There is no little sin and big sin. It's surrendering to God. And whenever I don't surrender to God... I'm rebelling. That's sin. Whenever I'm not following through completely with God's word, that's sinning. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not is what? It's sin. Never fix your eyes on a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, because all of us are apt to what? Sin. And next week what we're going to look at is this, and this is what sometimes really holds me too. That as a pastor, if I sin, and we look at next week, I can no longer step back into the position as a pastor. And scripture makes that very clear. Now I can do something else in the church, and we're going to see that in the priest part. Where they sinned, That doesn't mean they're out of the temple. That doesn't mean they can't do something. But they can no longer do what they used to do. And we're going to see that very clearly in Scripture. We're going to see what happens in the failure. But then we want to see the character of the teacher that God demands. Amen? Father, we want to thank you and praise you again for your word. May you continue to teach us. May we awaken to the position that we are priests. We are your priests called to teach a lost world. To call to teach people who are walking in ignorance. Called to teach people who are in darkness that they may come into the light. And Lord... May you, O God, bless us 
that we desire to be teachers first in our homes, in our community, and wherever you will take us. That we will be teachers of the message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lay it on our hearts, Lord, that we just don't want to be hearers of your word. But Lord, we truly want to be teachers of it. Because too many people are perishing for the lack of knowledge. The knowledge of the Lord. Too many people are being damaged because they don't know your word. Too many people are causing their self-inflicted pain and hurts in their lives because of the lack of knowledge of your will for them that you have expressly stated in your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be teachers who witness and in our witnessing we're teaching. Thank you, Lord. That, Lord, you give us the privilege that we don't have to say chapter and verse. All we have to do is speak what your word says. And if the fish bite then we can take them to chapter and verse. But teach us, Lord, how to be teachers of the wrong. That we bring about correction in a manner of gentleness and kindness and laughter. Teach us to teach constantly by the way in which we live by the way in which we speak, by the things that we do. For some have said that people catch more of what you do than what you say. Let us be willing, Lord, to be the doers that people might also catch what we're doing and how we're living for you. Lord, if there's ever a day in history that people need to be taught, it is now. Minister to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to give to him, we give with thanksgiving and praise that he gives us such a privilege. And you, you, you don't want to give Say, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this. Give out of love. 